This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, and another Town Hall Academy, week 334. Good to have you all here. Uh, Did I ever tell you how much I love to do this? To do this single-subject forum. Uh, You know, we were always just interviewing people on Remarkable Results Radio, but just to get together and just talk stuff with peoples. Boy, it was a, probably one of the greatest ideas ever put forth for the automotive aftermarket. Glad to have you here. We're going to talk about a single location that does $2.5 million or more, and we're going to really try to find out how it's done and all the kind of uh, the good strategies that go with it. If um, you're watching on YouTube, great. Thank you. Subscribe. Love to have you because 95% of everything we do is on our YouTube channel. Sure do appreciate that. And if you're looking for a book that we talk about on our website, it's the books page on our website. Let's uh, meet our crew. Joe Hansen's with us, Sterling Car Care, Sterling Heights, Michigan. Hello, Joe. How are we doing? Thanks for being here. Jimmy Aloria is here, 3A Automotive and Diesel Repair in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, Jimmy. Hello. Good to have you here, sir. And John Gustafson, Gustafson Brothers in Huntington Beach, California. Hello, John. Yes. High fives and a salute. Uh, to our great sponsors. You know, someday you wish you had a traffic cop in your shop to keep order. Shopware installed red and green lights inside its workflow page. It shows you when parts have arrived so you can go with a repair. Brilliant, brilliant stuff on the web at getshopware.com and trust in the aftermarket supplier that makes the parts that cars are born with. With over 100 years of OE heritage, Delphi Technologies quality parts gives you peace of mind. Learn more at DelphiAftermarket.com. Don't forget the Aftermarket Radio Network. We produce eight podcasts a week for you, and I never sleep, and neither does Tracy because of all that hard work. It's all about business acumen, great and wonderful ideas from an incredible cast of industry professionals. Okay, guys, many shops in North America have plenty of space and room to grow. They can add space, they can improve productivity and add services, and we've got a large group of Shop owners in the industry that do more than $2.5 million in a single location. Sometimes we call them shop malls I think it was Greg Bunch one day who said that. This episode is here to help motivate you to maybe and best understand how top operators got here doing at least $2.5 million or more in a single location, and it helps you to grow. I want to hear and talk about staffing, marketplace, marketing, hours of operations, Tires, alignments, quick lubes, systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jimmy, I want to go to you first. Your number one most critical tactic that got you where you are today. It's really letting loose of the day-to-day operations and putting a full team there. We were stuck at a, you know, about a million and a half. And as soon as I put a full team there to run the operation and I got out of the way, of course, I had to man the place up with enough people, but that was a big crucial difference for us, you know, is really just getting out of the way. How long did it take you to man up, man or woman up? One of the first things that I saw that was holding us back was, you know, this lean and mean operation, which we've talked about before on your show is, you know, we were always taught to keep everything lean and mean administratively. Like you have a heavy back and a light front. And the truth is, is that you actually need more administrative as you grow. You need more administrative support to keep the base full and growing. So that was a process over a couple of years, but honestly, it was a couple of key pieces that we added, you know, in our office, adding a parts uh, manager, 
and adding a service manager that was watching production so that the sales staff could just sell and they could work on customer service and taking care of the customers. One of the most unique shows we've done is about having a dispatcher. It was kind of mind-blowing because some of the people that were on saying, wow, we can get into some new training areas about how important dispatch is. And then there was discussion that a parts person, Jimmy, Joe, would almost have a dual role. and You could maybe add dispatch and how critical dispatch is you're playing chess. The bay, the technician, the customer, the promise times, the customer experience, all of those play in how things are dispatched. So I can't imagine, Jimmy, you not having that kind of strategy. Joe, how are you doing it? I agree with Jimmy. The the secret, I was trying to think, okay, what's the difference between a million and a half, 1.7, two, three, whatever. What's the difference in those shops? And it really just comes down to the people, 100%. Getting out of their way. In order to get out of their way, I think it's important that when we hire people, we have a process for that, obviously. But then we let them do their job. Like We don't get in the middle of what they're doing. We put those goals out there and we let them go after them. And if they don't hit them, then we discuss it. But when they're in the process of, of pursuing that, we just get out of their way, let them do what they're great at. I mean, that's why we hired them. So I think that the staffing, like Jimmy was saying, that that's so important to have a little bit extra, right? It used to be, you know, the thought process would be really lean, really, really lean, but you can't say yes to everybody coming in if you're too lean. So you got to have proper staffing. So guys, can you do this without having a top culture? And does culture, is it the umbrella that everything works under? I think that that's the, you know, having the right team is the culture, right? You got to have that culture because they got to have that fight mentality. They got to have that expectation of greatness. They got to have that expectation of being busy and getting things done. Um, you have to be able to think bigger, you know, to, to be able to do a couple, two, three million dollars a year. You have to have that be competitive. They've got to have that teamwork approach, but they've got to be competitive in a way that is a positive competitiveness. Like if salesperson A is having great sales, salesperson B should be aggravated with that, but yet supportive at the same time to be like, hey, I want to beat him, but in a good spirit, right? So you got to have that camaraderie within the team. I think the team, for, and I can only speak from our experience, I think one of the big secrets is that we know why we're there. We know why we're doing what we're doing, right? The whole team knows that the purpose for our company is to help people do life. And we do that through making sure that the car stays on the road, right? And we're all bought into that. I think that it's just a good feeling when you go in and you see your team working together to accomplish that. And I think it's motivating. So Jimmy, I want to go to this competitive thing and I want to do something that I probably rarely do. And that is I want to show a picture or two of your place when we did the tour. And so I'm bringing up this really cool, Jimmy, I guess you could explain this as being almost like a public display of where we are, where our numbers are, where we stand. That's right. That's that whole competitive thing I think that Joe was talking about. Absolutely. I mean, I you, post, the graphs. Yeah, you post the <laughs> graphs up there, you know, that comes from that Hubbard management system that we use. And you manage by statistics. You know, I started learning about this 23 years ago. You post the statistics up, you see the graph. Nobody wants to see a downward trending graph. Nobody wants to see it. So, so it's like, okay, well, when things go up, what are we doing right? Let's fortify that and, you know, keep those gains. But when things are going down, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to improve upon? And it's not always just, you know, a production thing. It might be something, you know, out in sales, might be an average repair order issue. But the competitive nature of people, those are the ones that you want on your team. 
and I hear with some of our clients, you know, it's like, I don't want to post up my, my graphs with my technicians because they'll leave. And I'm like, the one that leaves is the one you don't want on your team. You want the guys they are keeping track. I want guys that keep score. You know, I want the manager to keep score of what the sales are. I want the service advisors to know where their personal sales are at. I want the technicians to know where their efficiency is at and, and that they need more hours. They should be coming into the office if they don't have a car in their bay. If their hours are down for the week, they should be coming in on Monday. We, I mean, we have other graphs that we use that show progression throughout the week. And it's like, I want those guys to speak up because we want them to flourish. And if everybody's flourishing, then we're as a group going to flourish. Boy, Joe, did he ever say a mouthful there? If they're going to leave, good. We have the same type of, not as many graphs, but we have a weekly meeting at each shop, right? And we go through you know, the key indicators and you know we have trend lines and we look as, you know, maybe you have a bad week. Okay, big deal. That's not a big deal, but what's the trend? So if you got a bad trend line, you're going down, then we got to apply a formula and, and get out of that. Or we got to apply a formula to keep it going, right? I think that if you're talking about the difference again between two and a half million or less, it's that management, it's that attention to detail as a manager, right? We got to watch those numbers because at the end of the day, you know, you got to have great culture and all that, but great culture without profit is there's no point, right? And that's not going to last. But if the team knows their expectation, like we word it as, you know, what's your contribution to the goal? Like everybody's going to have a contribution. And what is that? And if you're going to contribute 40 billable hours a week, great. If you're going to contribute 60, that's great as well. But let's set that goal and let's measure where you're at. And we're not going to monitor neglect, right? We're going to see, okay, if we're low, we're low. Let's figure out why. Do we need to change performance or do we need to lower the goal? There's got to be something that we are holding them accountable for. But at the same time, our team needs to hold us as owners accountable as well. Like we have to provide an environment for them to succeed. I believe that. I don't think it's a one or the other. It's both. And I'm accountable. I serve my team. I mean, that's my job is to serve my team. And in return, they're going to go ahead and, and serve the customers. And then it's a win-win. To me, that's number one, it's fulfilling to be able to serve them, watch them grow, watch them make money, watch the company grow. But number two, I think it gives them almost a safe space, right? A safe place to know that, hey, this is what's expected of me. I know what I got to do. And if I do that, we're all going to win as a team. Let's go back to the numbers and the charts, because I think you guys brought up something really good. And that is, where are the goals? Joe, you talked about KPIs. Okay. Is the chart, Jimmy... Does it show tolerances to reaching the goals? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you looked at that graph that you were there, I mean, at the bottom there, that's a break-even line. And I mean by a profitability break-even, not that we're just paying our bills. It's 20%. So their viability lines are there for each different statistic, you know, even the technicians. So if you've got a 40-hour-a-week guy, the viability line is, you know, you put it at 40. You got an apprentice, whatever you set that at that you want them to hit, you set those numbers. So that's important in getting to those numbers because you got to do the math. You know, you start, you know, working backwards on how you're going to hit those numbers. You've got to be real and we've got to put the right amount of effort, the estimation of effort to hit that number. I mean, and we were about 2.8 last year. We didn't push hard enough. You know, there was a couple things administratively that held us back. And then, but at the end of the day, when we actually reviewed everything, it was like, how are we going to hit these numbers with if we averaged five technicians in the shop? And to me, the type of work that we do, we do a lot of that heavy line stuff with the diesels. It's not enough guys. So now, you know, we've got seven guys plus a manager right now, and we'll hit that. You know what I mean? We'll hit those numbers. But without doing the math 
and figuring out how you're going to hit the targets. We don't know how hard we have to push. We don't know how much marketing we have to do. We don't know what our average repair order needs to be. Everybody's got to be on the same page with that because, it, you know, again, it can't be just the person at the top you know, driving this number. It's got to be, everybody's got to buy in. Jimmy, you got five guys doing 2.8? Yes. Okay. So this is a great baseline for anyone who's listening that says, Whoa, I've got a shop. I've got five guys. I've got six, seven bays and Jimmy's doing 2.8 and I'm doing 1.7. Listen to this carefully. I just love the whole people angle. I mean, you know, hire the right people, get out of their way. But Joe, Jimmy, Who's the right person to lead? Did it take you a while to find that person? Were they promoted from within? You know, we're actually going through this right now with multi-location. You know, there's some things that we're looking at with that. But as far as picking a, a leader in the shop, I found that I can't do that. I found that they have to pick themselves. And how you know that is through not what they're saying, but what they're doing. And, you know, for Example, if somebody's going to lead, are they leading the meetings on time each week? Are they actually having a meeting with the team each week? Are they representing the purpose and reiterating the, the core values and making decisions based on those core values versus maybe how you feel that day, right? Because that's leadership, because that's tough. Because to make decisions based on values that you've put out versus how you feel is difficult because you sometimes have to make decisions that are not popular, if you will. So how do you pick the person to lead? Uh, I believe that that is how they pick themselves. Like I said, they demonstrate what you set the guidelines to be within the company, meaning they bought into the purpose, they bought into the core values, and they've gained the respect of the people in the shop so that when they do try to enact change or try to push the crew that they actually respond to you. Hey, stop guessing and get working on the next car or the opportunity to buy a second shop. Now, once you can see through the fog of numbers coming at you all day, you use less brain power to make better decisions. Start with reading the gauges on every bay and every tech with Shopware's Capacity Dashboard. Now, it makes it easy to see where you can squeeze in one more repair. Then get an overview of every business metric in your shop. Build your reports your way so the numbers that drive you jump out at you whenever you need them. Even if you add more shops to your operation, all the numbers end up consolidated by location or any way you want to slice and dice them. You're in control every step of the way, customizing as you go. Get a clear view. Get more profits. Get Shopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line. 
and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Jimmy, I'd love your take on it, but uh, one more question to add to my curiosity here about leadership training that this individual is getting. I agree with Joe. They have to be a leader. They have to take that role and take that ownership. And we can appoint them. We have to appoint them, but they have to earn that. And the team has to select them naturally. It's like when I played hockey, you know, when I was the captain of my team as a junior in college, that was not the coach's choice. That was selected by the team. And any time that I ever had a captain, they earned that role by from within. The team chose that person. Again, somebody's got to appoint that person. In our shop, it was the same thing. I mean, we have we have Emily who she started off as a service advisor, and you know she came in and she bought into our whole system, bought into doing thorough inspections or getting thorough inspections done, bought into informing the customer of everything that we see, not trying to sell everything that we see, but informing the customer of everything that we see so that they know what's needed now, what's going to need, be needed in the future. And over time, you start seeing the numbers go up because she's the one that's doing the numbers. She knows where we're at right now. Like we have a big target to hit. We're going to you know, take a long weekend next weekend if we hit the target. So she knows right where we're at. She's the one that's here early. She's the one here staying late. You know, I mean, it's those little things that everybody sees and not everybody wants that position. They definitely do it. Now, on the training side of things, yes, I mean, you have to provide that. We've sent her for management training so that she knows how to deal with people better. She knows how to sell. You know, like I don't need to train her much more on that. She's got that one down. She could teach the class on that. But as far as dealing with people, absolutely, that's the biggest thing. You've got to know how to motivate people the way that we do as owners. And that's yep. what we're turning over. Yeah, exactly. And that, to like what Jimmy was saying, I look at it and is there's a responsibility as a leader that you do that yourself. Like we can provide it, right, Jimmy? You got to give them the environment and you got to provide training. All that's available for them to get. But at some point, you know, what books are they reading on their own without us saying, hey, are you going to read a book? Or maybe it's listening to it just on a podcast or maybe using Audible or, or whatever it is. But, you know, are they tuning into things like this show to learn from other owners and other shops out there. Like there's, you gotta be hungry at some point for what you're doing as a career. And it's not just a job. It's actually, it's a career and it's a great career. This is a great industry and you should take it seriously. And, and I believe it's better than many, many industries out there that you can actually provide for your family. So take it seriously like that. And that involves being self-disciplined enough to get that training. None of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. We always have to be improving. Owner, service advisor, manager, general service tech, tech, Whatever it is, we always have to have that desire to get better. And not everybody has that. And that's fine. They're just not going to be a leader or a manager. Very good stuff, guys. I want to just take a shameless plug for our classroom page on our website. You know, after 1,200 plus episodes, eight years doing this, and all these great episodes where there's so much coming from it. Joe, to your point, there's a lot to learn, a lot of great wisdom. We decided to categorize a whole bunch of incredible episodes together. Go to the page called Classroom. You'll see four bundled episodes on business culture, group one, group two, customer perception, service advisor training, and role play, one, two, and three. 
you just sit down with your people and just re-listen to them because you probably listened to them one time and says, this would, these little bundled groups of audio, even video training would be great for my people or an individual who's wanting to get ahead or getting ahead and someone who had a stumble on leadership. Hey, let's go back and listen to a few of those leadership things. In fact, take a couple of weeks, listen to all four of them and then come back. Let's talk about it. What did you learn? So we've decided to take all that we've done and not just let it be historical, but to bring it up and put it into training format for you. So thank you for that. Let's talk about marketing and the marketplace. You know, there are some places that we'll never, ever get to do two and a half, three million because of the market or their lack of marketing. We need the marketing. I mean, we can gobble work up like mad, especially when you start adding that much production into the mix. You need to fill the pipeline and keep that schedule full if you're as you're growing. I mean, and people are afraid to spend the money, but you know, it's like, you know, we're upwards of nine, ten percent of our revenue on marketing. It's a growth strategy. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to maintain, I'm trying to grow. And and thing is, is you a business can never shrink. It can't shrink. Cause as you grow, you're gonna get more overhead, you know. It's almost as hard to shrink as it is to grow because as you grow, you start getting overhead. You have personnel, you know, you have a lifestyle, you have, you know, the things that are happening in the business that cost money. So the business is trying to grow. I think it's, it's just as hard to shrink as it is to grow. So we're spending that money and we have a strategy for, you know, how many new customers we need, how many recoveries we need, you know, how many appointments we need every single day. And so that's a big part of it. And, you know, too many people just think that they're going to hook up their CRM to their point of sale system and that's going to be their marketing plan. Like, yeah, we do marketing. Yeah, we've got this. And they send out text blasts and email reminders. It's like, that's not a marketing plan. You know what I mean? Like, you really have to work these things out and figure out what you're going to need long term as far as new customers, recoveries, getting people back in the door and filling those bays with, uh, with good, solid work, not just oil changes. Yeah. And, and the marketing plan, we used to treat it like a diet, you know, when we, you know, you get heavy and you're like, I better change the way I'm doing things, you know, but it's the inverse, right? You get light in business and then you think, oh, I better start marketing. And then it gets busy and you're like, okay, I'm good. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I better start marketing. And, and that was something that we ran into. And then I'd look at other shops, what they would be spending on marketing. And I, I'm like, I can't imagine spending that much money on marketing. And then that's the same reason I couldn't imagine doing two and a half, three million dollars either. I, I had to get my mind around it. The marketing, we're a little bit lower percent wise. I think we're around six or 7% of our budget goes to marketing. We have a very strategic plan with it, right? We don't just do the text blast. We don't just do, you know, social media blasts or stuff like that. We know what our attrition rate is. We know it. We know how many customers we're going to lose per year then. And we know the average ticket on a new customer in the first 18 months versus the average ticket on a customer after that. So if we're trying to hit a revenue number of say $4 million, I know that I'm going to lose 40% of my customers a year. I've got to gain X more customers at a certain average ticket times 60% gross profit in order to take those gross profit dollars to be able to afford the marketing and everything else. So it's not a guess. It's an actual numbers game. It's math. Math doesn't lie. It sounds like a lot of work, but not having the money to pay bills is a lot of work too, you know? So just sitting down and disciplining yourself to, okay, what's my plan this year? How many bays do I have in the shop? How many technicians do I have? How many cars can I get through? What's my current customer base, right? Not how many visits per year. Customers have, you know, two cars. Some customers come in three times. What's my base? How many actual customers do I have? Okay, what do I need in order to hit that goal? It's a map, right? And you just put the pieces together. Takes time, takes planning, but it's so worth it. But then... You add the right people into that and it's like on nitrous because you've got the right plan, 
you've put the discipline in of of getting the, the goal out there to the team, you get the buy-in and then it's fun. Then it gets to it's like, okay, this is cool. I like this, right? And so it's a game and it's a competitive game. Joe said something that was really important to hitting these numbers. He said, at a 60% gross profit margin, you know, if you take a shop, I mean, this is just a simple example because, you know, of the numbers, but you take a shop doing 100,000 a month at 60% gross profit. The shop down the street that does the same exact repairs, repair for repair, they have the same exact costs. At the end of the month, the difference in net profit is like $11,000. It's it's 5% on gross profit, but it's $11,000 in net profit, right? But the difference in sales between those two shops, one's doing 100,000 at 60%, the other shop's doing about 89,000 in revenue. It's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking at like when our gross profit margin numbers are down, I'm looking at what profit did we leave on the table, but I'm also looking at had we hit those numbers where we should have been, what would the revenue have been? And then I know since we're paying our bills, that's pure net profit. Joe, you're talking about building base. We've done shows in the past. I've talked to some pundits in the industry that says as EVs and hybrids and they slowly start coming around, you're going to need to double, possibly triple the customer base that you have based on the number of shows that they'll have. So growing your customer base, critically important. Okay, I got a website, I got a CRM, but you just can't stop there. Based on the size and the feed that the business needs, do you have to go outside, find yourself a support consultant individual that really appreciates and understand what uh, social marketing would be? I think it's wise to have somebody who knows that for sure. I mean, you're spending a lot of money, right? So, Do you use some? Yeah, I'm not a marketing guru. I mean, it's a lot of money. So you want to make sure you're spending it with someone who knows what they're doing. Just like, you know, if someone would bring a car in, they want to take it to their brother-in-law. They want to take it to someone who knows what they're doing. So I I just view you got to surround yourself with experts that are better than you. So, and that doesn't end with marketing. I think, I believe you do. So some of the greatest coaches that I've known over the years say the CEO has only one job, one job only, and that is to make the phone ring. And some of them look at that statement and say, I don't know how to do it. Joe, to your point, you're not an expert at it. Yeah. Can you make the phone ring by making sure that you're learning how it works? And if not hiring someone to make it again, I think the ROI on that, if you've got all the other components working, you'll never even miss the money because it's generating big revenue. Jimmy, how about you on the marketing thing? Do you need an expert? There's some stuff that my wife and I are, we're pretty highly trained in marketing. So there's some stuff that we do the surveys of the shop and our internal promotion. But when it comes to like Google AdWords and geofencing and social media, no, we hire that stuff out because again, it's its own technology. I don't have time to learn that. I hire somebody that I trust to run those campaigns for us. I know what target market we want. I know what the message is that we're presenting to that market. But after that, No, we hire that out for sure. Well, John, you've got such an incredible company out there in California, Huntington Beach. And I know you're a big numbers guy and you believe in a pro forma. And let's talk a little finance right now. We talk about pro forma on the show, but many people like the world of acronyms. They don't know what the hell it means. I've got this great definition of what a pro forma is. It's a formal financial assumption or projection for a future time period. It's no different than goals that you guys are setting, but it's a longer term. When I was in acquisitions in my former life, we always had to do pro formas based on certain sets of criteria. If this happens, what about that? And so, John, 
You're so successful. Walk us through your financial disciplines for your great company. So the daily report is the beginning. Maybe the milestones. We forecast or do the performa once a year based on the previous year's audited accounting. So mechanical just finished fiscal year at uh, $5.1 Collision at about the same in our shop a little over two. So we 13 million in the last um, fiscal year. And we already have projected head and we know what our daily number needs to be. So at the end of every day, we go into shop and we pull the number mechanical and plug it into the Excel sheet for three of the month. Yeah. We also want to talk about what else you're doing to drive the revenue. Joe, I know you're big in alignments at your facility. Are you guys doing quick lube, lots of tires? We look sometimes as how much more can I do? Well, sometimes it's just adding services that help round out the volume. You know, what's interesting is, and I wanted to touch on this, maybe this is the time, is we used to be open more hours too. Like we used to be open on Saturdays and we were doing just shy of 3 million at that time. When we switched away from that, the sales went up, profit went up, car count down a little bit, but the average ticket went up you know, significantly. And again, I think that leads back to the culture. And again, this is just my experience. I don't think it's always about how many hours you're working, I think that it's about efficiency, right? And I think that that's a big thing. I mean, you can really change the way the production by the environment that you create in the shop. As far as adding services, yeah, I mean, we do about 10% tires at our store, uh, which isn't enough. I want to get that bigger. Obviously, I want to get up to 20%, you know, for obvious reasons, the EV and all that coming in, they're heavier. And so I want to capture that market. And there are other services, right? I don't want to focus so much on services, right? Because I'm not going to pick what services I'm doing. You know, we want to take a step back and focus on a proper vehicle inspection. And from that point, we can decide what services we need. Number one, we need to offer to serve that vehicle so that it will run long, right? Because that's the goal again, keep that vehicle on the road. I would like to say I want to add services just to add services. I want to see, okay, what are these vehicles needing? And then let's supply them with them services or let's provide those services so that we can properly serve that vehicle. So, for example, alignments, big deal, right? So we bought a, the 100 lane check machine at our store and our alignments went up. It was over double. So what does that tell us? That tells us that we were underserving our customer base, right? Because they needed more alignments. 62% of the cars that come in need alignments. Even if you do half of those, you know, you're going to net over 50000 a year just in alignments based on what our numbers were, which paid for the machine, right? That's one service we had. We're big on preventative maintenance at our shop. We want to make sure, again, that we're following the factory recommended guidelines and that we're also following guidelines that are from industry experience. You know, So whether it's a trans service or a, a coolant flush or brake flush, all those are important. Joe, out of your three plus million, what percentage do you think is a maintenance? Significant portion, I would say, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't actually have that exact number, believe it or not. John, are you doing ADAS calibrations? We have a company so close by that does it, and we just make a margin. Okay, I got it. So it's a sublet. Yes. It's a sublet for you. Now, so that everybody gets correct and understand, John has a mechanical shop, a collision shop. They each do five plus million each. And uh, we all hope to grow up and be like you someday, John. And then you have a second mechanical shop. Am I right? Satellite shop, yes. A satellite shop. John, any future plans? Are you going to add any more, or are you going to retire someday, or are you just going to just to be at the top of the mountain. You know, we're using the EOS process. I have turned over day-to-day operations and I'm in their weekly L10 meetings. And so I can go to the lake while they're making the cars fly through the shop. Again, we're going to someday grow up and be like John. 
Jimmy, how much time are you spending at your place with this incredible team? And I know that you're coaching, so this has allowed you to do other stuff. Time spent on the business is probably 20, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. Time in the business is, you know, less than that. I work a lot from my home office, but, you know, I mean, again, I, I found that the more distance I keep, I don't become a solution. We have the systems in place. We have the processes in place. If policy needs to be written, those come up during our weekly meeting that I do attend on Mondays. And if there's a policy that needs to be implemented, then I'll, I'll write a policy or approve a policy. You know, so that keeps me away from having to be the solution. If we're around, a lot of times it's like just they, they just assume they want to ask and, and they don't need a lot. Of, most of the time they're going to come up with a better solution than I have anyway. So I try to avoid that just by keeping my distance. How many times have you had a, a, somebody ask you a question like on chat or whatever and you didn't see it? And, and you know, it was like two hours before you got back to him. Then you're like, oh, and you get back to him like, oh, I already figured it out. It, and it was this. And I'm like, oh, that's a better idea than I even had. That's right. yeah. So it's so true. Just, yeah. I mean, if we hire the right people, let them do their thing. I mean, they're going to do a great job. Yeah, you don't always have to be the answer man. You just don't. You guys say, hey, what do you guys think? I mean, God, talk about really giving confidence to your team that you care about what they think or say. You just mentioned processes, systems, policies. OMG. I mean, that next to culture and goals and finance, that seems to be, you know, with the, maybe a really third important part of the stool. And John, with EOS, you know, practicing EOS, your people are probably leading all of those. I mean, are you having to be the final say? Or are you saying, hey, guys, it sounds great. Do it. What's your role? I'm the visionary and I let them run the day to day and I give them my opinion during the IDS session, the issue section. My vote is as, as weighty as theirs. But they all get a vote. And that is so unique and different in some ways that we're running small businesses today. So maybe this whole thing is get a big business mentality on. You got a million five business, you've got six bays, four or five technicians, and you're not doing what Jimmy, Joe, uh, John are doing. And maybe it's that you got to look in the mirror and find that big business attitude. And I don't mean big business by big ego business. I mean, how do we run a much bigger business, all-inclusive with my people? I'm going to back myself out and put other people in charge mentality. And that, in my mind, is what big business is. There's the CEO up there, and many people just say, wow, they give me all this responsibility to do all this really neat stuff, but I'm still being held accountable. You didn't exit the tribe. You're just on top of it. We take the viewpoint of creating groups within our group, right? So, you know, as we've gotten bigger, you have a production team and you have a manager over that production team and they're accountable to those people and they report to that service manager. And same in the sales, like the sales side has, you know, you have your service advisors, you have your customer service rep, and they're accountable to a manager over that team. And there's a tug and pull back and forth with those. You know what I mean? Like the service advisors sell a bunch of work that's got to leave this week and the service manager is going, how are we going to get all this done? I don't know. Figure it out, right? It's your job to get it done now. So we have this tug and pull and now we have teams not competing against it. There's always going to be that. You're, you need to have those people selling more work than can possibly be done. And then you need to have those guys out there driving production. The technicians going, there's no way I can get this done and pushing. What do you need? What do you need? We'll get you the parts, you know, and working that back and forth. If you look at that from the standpoint of the organization, the day-to-day -day operations, really the CEO or the owner is not involved in that stuff. 
we're over in planning strategy. How are we going to get to that next level? Like I love John's, you know, story here. I, you know, I, I mean, people are opening up multi stores, which is great. Okay. It's a different strategy, but there's a lot of our operations. Like I feel like I have a $5 million operation. I've got now I have a, a nine bays indoors, two bay outdoor. I have a little space in another shop right behind us. I've got room to do 5 million. I know I do. So how are we going to get there? I've got to strategize how we're going to utilize our space and our time to get to that number. I mean, he brings up an important point, guys. You're the guy in charge. You're not turning wrenches anymore. You're not waiting on customers. You're not paying bills. And you may not even be doing all the key critical hiring. Maybe you have a final say in it. But your job, as John talked about, is the visionary of the company. Where do we want to go and how are we getting there? And then you need to have your team be on board. And when you unleash the how, they do it. That is how it works. And they do it with all of the responsibility that you have given down to them. Wow. You know what? We have to do a part two, guys, because we didn't even cover half of the stuff that we should have. And I don't want to go too long here in the tooth and say, okay, I don't have the time to listen to these guys pontificate for two or three hours, but it's a big topic. I believe there's a big opportunity in our industry to go as a single location and not have to go out in two or three or four to build your $5 million operation. You probably, if the facility is worthy. And in many cases, guys are going with these satellites. They're in the commercial area. They're down the road a mile. There's a great opportunity to buy a competitor and call it a satellite and not even open it retail. Just we shove the work down there because we bought ourselves capacity, right? There's so many different ways to do it. I just love this. Thank you so much. Joe Hansen, Sterling Car Care in Sterling Heights, Michigan, part of the Gordy's group, right? What's the big name of the company, Joe? Is it? Uh... I'm not even sure. It's just everywhere. It's, it's a changing daily. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. His dad, Gordy, uh, great story with those guys. John Gustafson, Gustafson Brothers, Huntington Beach, California, and Points Out West. Jimmy Aloria. 3A Automotive Diesel Repair, Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks for allowing me to put up those charts. I think Joe got himself an idea on that. <laughs> Great guy. Have a wonderful weekend and appreciate your support. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 